Today's sermon text is Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Ezeliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go on to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Good morning. And it is spring break, hey? <laughs> All right. So, uh, I'm Chris, and it's good to be here with you today. Uh, in 2009, I got to, I had the opportunity to spend the summer in Guatemala. I'd been a, a believer for a year and a half or so, and I was doing an internship down there, and uh, that summer was pretty cool. I got to have a lot of pretty neat adventures, got to see a lot of things. Uh, but the most harrowing experience that summer, easily, was when we had gone off on a little mission of sorts and were doing some ministry. We had run into the school in the middle of nowhere, and they were in need of help. And so I decided after we got back that I wanted to go back there. And it was located in a little town called San Jose Calderas, and it was kind of halfway up uh, a volcano in, the, in a kind of a jungly, forested area in bandit-infested territory, and I decided I was going to go back up by myself uh, with a, like a tiny bit of Spanglish to, to get me through there. 
It was a questionable decision, but I decided to make it anyway. And long story short, I took a couple of buses after a couple of days, finally figured out how to get to this little town at the base of the volcano. And I ended up hitching a ride on this little pickup truck. And it had this, it was full of people and it had a cage on the back. And so I'm standing on the bumper going up this old gravel road up this volcano. And there's this other guy hanging on the back with me and we're both kind of for dear life, right? And then all of a sudden they stop at the side of the road in the middle of this, there's just jungle around. And then this other guy gets off and it has, turns out his name is Luis, my new friend. And he points and he goes, like, he says, come with me. And he points in the direction of the jungle and goes, Calderas. I'm like, dude, that's not Calderas, man. I, I've seen Calderas. That's the jungle, right? I'm not, I'm not going with you in there. And he's like, just keeps beckoning me. So I, I kind of was at a bit of a crossroads because I didn't know if this guy, he was, in a way, he's promising me something that he's going to take me to Calderas. But I had no idea whether or not he was going to deliver Abram, we just read, he's come to a bit of a crossroads himself in the story that God is taking him on in this journey. As we've read, he's been given some promises by God, but he's starting to, to question a little bit whether or not these promises are actually going to happen. He's, he's starting to wonder whether or not act, everything is actually going to be okay, because this journey so far had been roughly six, seven years. He was 75 when the story started in Genesis 12. And then in the next scene uh, with Ishmael in Genesis 16, he's going to be 86. So it doesn't say exactly how old he is, but he's in his 80s at this point. So he's starting to wonder. This is normal, I think, because especially when somebody decides that they want to commit to a life of faith, like, ah, what have I gotten myself into? Should actually roll around in our minds sometimes. Like, Schultzes, seriously, like you guys, you know that, right? There's, there's some points where you start to question when you're living a life of radical faith, whether or not you're getting yourself into something crazy. Because we know in order for this optimal outcome to happen, God has to step in. God has to do something in order for success to happen because it's his mission. It's, it, it's his world and we're just living in it, right? He knows that we're going to struggle though. And so here is what our passage is saying to us today. And this applies to Abram, but this also applies to us as well. God is saying, fear not, have faith, follow me. Fear not, have faith, follow me. And so as we dive back in, we're not going to be able to cover all the ground. This was a pretty rich, full text. But as we go through and start to touch on and flesh out what it means to fear not, have faith, and follow me. I, wanna, I want you to have a couple questions rolling around in your mind. What or who do you look for for hope? How do you know that everything is going to be okay? Do you look to yourself? Do you, do you, do you think that you're going to be able to figure it, it out? Or, or do you look to somebody else? Do you look to a, a parent or a friend or a spouse or a coworker or a boss? Somebody like that, teacher, professor, somebody that is going to help you figure it all out. Or do you look to God? As we go through the passage, uh, as we walk back through and try to flesh this out a little bit, whether you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, I, I hope that these questions will be floating around in your mind. And I hope as you listen, this idea, this, this story of a God will compel you. This God who, even though people have shunned him by and large throughout history, he still 
committed to introducing himself slowly and working through us for his glory, even though we're often not interested in him or in doing what's right. Wow, that was really loud. So <laughs> let's dive in. So one thing you've likely noticed if you've been following along or if you read through Genesis or been here for the series is that the adventures of Abram, it, his life kind of goes up and down, right? His behavior, it's kind of like the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities. You know the, the novel, uh, Charles Dickens? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the season of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. It's like Sarah, my wife, you just got to meet her, if you haven't met her before, doing sound effects. It's whenever we're playing with Caddy, and, and particularly when we're doing, like, singing, like, Old MacDonald, she'll do sound effects, like the animal noises. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, I love my wife and I'm championing her or something like that. When she does animal noises, it really sounds like an animal. It, it, it's amazing. But then we, we go to play, like, Star Wars or, or, or something like that, and she's trying to do the... And then it goes kind of, you know, direct direct the other way. There's a lot of pew, pew, pew going on and, and, and stuff. So there's, there's, there's some ups and downs. So, I mean, in, in our text as we're going through with Abram, we see that one minute, she, one minute he's going along and everything. He seems to have all the faith in the world. And the next minute he's saying that Sarai, his wife, is not his wife, that he's his sister. And, and unfortunately that theme is going to continue. But Here's the deal. As the story progresses, so does Abram. We see him growing as it goes. You can see development in the relationship between him and God. You can see Abram's growth. And as he grows, God introduces himself or reveals something more to him as the story goes along. This is something called, here's your 99 cent uh, theology reference. This is called progressive revelation. If you've heard of that, then you know what I'm talking about, and you can tune out for the next 10 seconds. If you haven't, then progressive revelation essentially is, as you read through the Bible, you'll notice that God starts off by basically saying to Abram, I exist, right? Here I am. And then slowly introduces himself further along and starts to interact with people more and starts to give them a better indication of what he expects if they're going to have a relationship, right? For instance, the law with Moses, so on and so forth officially and, and finally culminating in the person of Jesus Christ, which is the full uh, expression and reflection of God for humanity. Progressive revelation. I like to call it a school for souls. And anybody knows when you start school at age four or whatever, you don't go from zero to calculus. You're, you're slowly brought along. And so we see here with Abram, God is slowly bringing Abram along and introducing himself to him and starting to get uh, a better indication of who he is. You'll notice uh, if you've paid close attention that our passage has a number of recorded firsts. And I say recorded firsts because these don't necessarily indicate that they're just happening for the first time, but the writer really wants us to get this progression that's going on. 
So a few of them that are noteworthy. Uh, For the first time, Abram speaks to God when God speaks to him. We see this in verses 2 and 8. So now we see it's a conversation that's starting to happen between the two of them. In verses 1 to 4, we see this introductory phrase, the word of the Lord came to Abram or him. That's unique. Verse 1, God appears to Abram in a vision. This is new. Verse 6, it says Abram believed. We're going to get into that in a little bit, but it doesn't mean he's all of a sudden believing, but it records it as he is believing. Verse 7, God speaks to Abram. God identifies himself. That's a first in the story so far. And then finally, in verses 13 to 16, we see very, very explicit future events told to Abram by God. He's revealing what is going to happen to these descendants that he's talking about, namely the Egyptian slavery. I don't think that it's a coincidence when we look at what had just happened, um, particularly with Abram engaging with Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. It's not really a coincidence that all of a sudden these things are happening. This is an indication of his faith growing. I think in the church sometimes we get caught up in in part one of, of this model and that it's God, he's preparing a place for his people. We talk about Jesus saying, hey, you know, I have a house, my God's, or my father's house has many rooms, preparing a place for you. And then we forget that he's also preparing his people for a place. So God's preparing a place for his people, but he's also preparing a people for his place. If Eldon was here, he would love that because he, he loves that alliteration, the pa 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 kind of thing. He, he's going to be really excited when he sees that. But it's true, though. This is, this is what's going on. We're being prepared to be able to engage with God in a way that he finds, there's no better way to put it, acceptable. Okay? So we see in this, class is in session, and there's already starting to be some fruit from the lesson plan. One thing to note, though, because he is growing, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden Abram is perfect and that it's just going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the way. That's foreshadowing. Right? Just, just wait for it, but you'll, you'll, get, to, you'll get to that next week. Uh, but back to the text. So verse 1 tells us that we're coming off of these things. Well, what are, what are these things? Well, last week, Jason, uh, Pastor Jason was up here, and he skillfully uh, told the story and, and talked about Abram rescuing Lot from the wicked kings, and then also the story of being blessed by or subsequently blessed by Melchizedek. So Abram was at a bit of a high point right there. So now on the heels of that episode, our writer is, is telling or starts by telling the readers that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision right on the heels of that. So our passage, it was, it was really broken up into kind of two scenes, verses 1 to 6 and then 7 to 21, and they both involve visions. So scene start one starts with a word of the Lord coming to him in a vision. And essentially, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with a word of the Lord coming to somebody in a vision, he's communicating with him. And so God communicates with us in many ways, sometimes through dreams and visions, uh, often through other people, like a, someone will have a word for us. But primarily, it's through his word, through the Bible, through scripture, that God is, is communicating with us. But we, there's many ways. Nature, even, God will declare. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Things like that. 
So, why is this key, this vision part? Well, the language that the writer's using really starts to set up Abraham and by you, or Abram using prophetic language. We're going to get to that in a few weeks, a little bit more about Abram being a prophet, but nevertheless, it's, it's important to see that because this language really sets Abram apart and really shows the connection between him and God. And later on, we're going to get to a verse in in James in a minute, but he's even known, I think first they do it in in Isaiah 41, but he's known as God's friend. God considers Abram a friend. And so there's this developing relationship that is incredible. So God comes to him now in this vision, and he tells him not to fear. Well, fear what? Well, it could be because he just finished whooping those kings, and then he's fearful for a revival. Revival. Reprisal, not a revival. Revival's a good thing. That's a positive thing. So if that happened, he wouldn't be scared of it. Woohoo, revival, but bad reprisal. So, so he's afraid maybe they're coming back. God even says, hey, I'm your shield, right? So we have that in, in mind. Or it could be something that's kind of happening forward. He might be afraid, it's going to get into, that this reward that God says he's going to give him isn't going to matter because he doesn't have an heir that is his own. He's, he's stuck with Eliezer of Damascus. Can you imagine being Eliezer of Damascus? This guy is just getting thrown under the bus. He wants nothing to do with Eliezer of Damascus. He wants his own son to be able to pass this on to. Uh, he's afraid of perhaps maybe of no legacy. So whether it's because of the, the fear of a reprisal from the kings or a fear of not having a legacy for the future or that maybe even just that God's not going to fulfill his promises, it could be all of those. What's important, though, for us to know is that God assures him. So if it is the, the war thing, he's telling him, I am your shield. But even more importantly, he says to him that he can count on the fact because he's already promised it once that he is going to have, and he does this in a really beautiful way, this vision, that he is going to have a baby boy of his own. And in the Hebrew, it actually says it'll be of his own loins. It gets pretty, gets pretty graphic. There's no, there's no mistaking what he's talking about here. And he, then he says that the offspring, his offspring, is actually going to be more numerous than the stars. And I was reading uh, yesterday in, in Deuteronomy 1, and that's what Moses says when he's talking about them right as they're about to come, as they're coming into the promised land. He describes the, the nation of Israel as, as already more numerous than the stars, and that's less than 600 years later. So it's just amazing what God can do in, in a relatively short period of time in that sense. See, personally, I can empathize with Abram. See, uh, expectations, I think they're pretty strong uh, with, with this one, uh, especially when it comes to, to things like kids. I think as people, we're, we're especially prone to, to making plans or we're bent towards making plans in, in areas that we probably have no business making plans on. So like how many of you have ever, have ever thought or, or said something like, so we're going to have two or three kids, or if you're Dutch, seven or eight kids. <laughs> See, Ron, Ron's ruined me for that. But we're, we're going to have we're going to have this many kids, and we're going to have them two years apart, and then we're going to have you know even genders offsetting by year, and then we're going to plan it so that we can have them in the spring, so they're born earlier in the year, not not so much later, but not so later into the year that you know the third trimester gets really hot. So we want to avoid all of that. Etc. 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 So Sarah and I, we weren't quite that specific, 
But we were specific, right? We had plans, man, right? We were going to have so many kids. We are going to have them so far apart, right? So then we started trying and boom, we're on track, right? We, Cadman's conceived and, and we're going along. But then 27 weeks hits and there's, it's sketchy. He, we almost lose him. He almost comes early, but then he hangs on to 36 weeks and he's born and he's healthy. Praise God. We're, we're, our plan is intact, and then we wait the requisite amount of time and we try again and boom, we're on set. We're right on track. Everything is going exactly how we're planning. But then we, we hit the, the second trimester. You guys know the, that trimester where they say statistically that miscarriage doesn't happen all that much. And, and, and we lost, we lost him. His, his name, his name is Bun. Cause you know, he was in the oven and, uh, but, but we, lost, we lost our boy. So, okay, we, we didn't plan for that. Uh, well, let's, let's try again, right? Let's keep going. Boom, we're back, you know, we're not quite back on track. We're still, we're a little bit behind schedule, but where things are going. And then we moved to BC, and, and some of you were here when we arrived. And so you, you would have met Peanut uh, when, because she was still around then, but we made it to the second trimester. You remember the one that, the statistics say that miscarriage doesn't happen all that often, and then we lost her too. Didn't plan for that. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God is as intimately involved in, in our uh, fertility or yours or, or anybody else's as intimately as he is with Abram and Sarai. Uh, he's not, maybe he's not literally opening and closing the womb as, as it were. But I can say without question that we, Sarah and I, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we didn't believe in a God who we can trust and who we know is going to make all things right. The God that keeps his promises even if we don't like the outcome of some of the things that happens in this broken world. In fact, it's, it's actually it's grown us up a little bit and it's given us an opportunity to be able to, to serve other people when they go through a similar thing. Second Corinthians verse, or chapter 1, verse 4 uh, reads that he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. 2 Corinthians 1.4 In other words, we're, we're doing our best right now to, to not fear that, that something like that could happen again. We're, we're wanting to just have faith in God that he's in control and that we're committed to following him wherever he takes us. And we trust that he's going to use all of this for his glory. But God has actually promised something to Abram. He, Abram has a promise in hand from God, and he, we had better believe that God is going to fulfill that. We trust that God will do that. So Abram just here, he needs to have faith and to be patient. See, this is where verse 6 comes in and why it's really interesting, because the narrator jumps in and wants to make sure that everybody is on the same page and knows what's going on. You see, he's not saying that Abram is all of a sudden having faith now. I mean, it would have taken an incredible amount of faith for some dude from Ur to meet 
some God that he has no idea about and to follow him out, right? It takes a little bit of faith, at least some to do that. What he's saying is that his faith, this faith that started off small and has been growing along, remember School for Souls has been growing bigger and bigger, it's that faith that is now declaring Abram righteous. It's the faith that's doing that. And the same goes for us. So why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because we can see that there is a direct connection between having faith in God and following God. There's a couple of New Testament passages that deal with this text in particular, this verse in particular, that are going to help us out. The first is written by Paul in chapter 4 of Romans, and he pretty much goes on the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read verses 22 to 25. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our, here's another 99 cent theological word, for our justification. What's justification? Justification, think of yourself in a courtroom and you're being declared innocent. Or another way of putting it is being declared righteous before God. Essentially, you're standing before God, all of a sudden becomes okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden I'm okay. I'm not all of a sudden perfect. It's just the way that God views me is now perfect because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his son. So that's, at the end of the day, how we know that everything's going to be okay is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's how we know that everything's going to be okay. Abram didn't have that progressed revelation yet, so God's coming at it from a different angle. But nevertheless, he's still justified by belief. So, the second passage that we're talking about, James, is chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And he writes, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Remember that? Called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So this is where it's going to get interesting. So if you read Romans 4 all the way through, you would read Paul saying that it's not by works. It's by faith alone that he's declared righteous. But then we've just read James saying that it's works and faith. So wait a minute, is this one of those contradictions in the Bible that proves that the Bible is not true? No, those things don't exist. Don't, like, that's not true. But it's not that way. And I'm going to involve the help of a 16th century theologian named John Calvin, he of awesome beard, and he's going to put it, as Paul contends that we are justified, remember that, made, like, declared righteous, as Paul contends that we're justified apart from works, so works isn't what declares us righteous, James does not allow those who lack good works to be reckoned righteous. Okay? Are you following along? So, in other words, what he's saying is that ultimately it's going to be faith in God is going to be what declares a person righteous. But James is saying, if they're, unless this person just like, you know, I believe, and then dies, there needs to be something that shows it. There needs to be some way of, of showing that a person is, and Jesus would simplify it down in Matthew 22 or Mark 12, you need to love God and love other people. 
If you say you're, you're, you've been declared righteous, but you're not loving God or loving other people, I'll just let that hang right there, and we can, we can do the math. What we need to remember, James, by the way, he says faith without works is dead. Kind of puts it simply. Uh, so this, friends, is what God is doing. It's part of his plan. Remember, as he's preparing his people for a place, having them declared righteous so they can actually be in his presence because he is the most high God. Remember Melchizedek, most high God. He's holy. So we need to be declared righteous. So this is part of his plan for preparing us to do that. And in order to do that, God has decided with his people that they need a home base. They need to be provided with some land. And so this is the land that Abram Abram now is wondering how in the world that he is possibly ever going to possess. He has faith, but he's hoping for a little bit of assurance that everything is going to be okay. So in scene two now, it switches gears a bit, and God is now assuring him in another really interesting way that he's going to provide him that land. And he's doing it in a way that somebody who lived 4,000 years ago see bizarre ceremony is going to understand somebody who's going to be able to get it. So let's talk about that ceremony. So I I can remember a a number of years ago, it's turning into a long time ago when I tell this story. I can actually say that almost. When Sarah and I uh, were dating and I went to Quebec City, she's from Quebec City. I, I traveled there to ask her to marry me and I did. And she was really, really surprised. And she said, Chris, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? And so I thought for a second and I looked at her and I said, Bring me your cat. <laughs> just, just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> and a saw. No. Uh, but then, you know, we were, pl- we were planning the way. Cat lovers are like, how dare you? <laughs> Amen, brother. But then we were planning the wedding, and you know, planning weddings, heck, like, heck, hectic. Wow, I'm having a lot of Freudian slips this morning. Uh, it's pretty hectic. You know, Chris, did you, did you call the florist? Yes, honey, I called the florist. Did you call the caterer? Yes, it was my mom. So yeah, we, we connected. Uh, Chris, did you call the farm to connect it to get animals? You know, the ones we're going to sacrifice cut in half and walk through so that we can symbolically enact this covenant together for marriage? Did you do that? Oh, wait, but don't cut the birds in half, because God said not to. Just kidding, I'd read that didn't happen either. But seriously, what, what's happening here is this is a very practical way for God to be able to tell Abram that what he said he's going to do, he's actually going to do. He's participating in a ceremony that, quite frankly, we just don't know a lot about. And it's not given in scripture a, a very big explanation of what is happening in this. He was sealing the deal in, in a sense so first, what he does is he, he tells them what to bring and what to get. Then he gives them this future history lesson, you know, verses 13 to 16. He starts talking about the Egyptian exodus. You know, he's like, remember all the, the, all the people I promised you, all the descendants? They're going to go through a really, really, really tough time in Egypt for 400 years. But then the amount of time that I, God, have dictated or, or said it needs to be done... Uh, it talks about the Amorites and their iniquity. After that time is done, I'm going to bring them out and they're going to come to this land. So he gives them this understanding. And then verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
And on the day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. So, although we're not exactly sure what all of the different pieces in this symbolically mean, what we are sure of is, first of all, that it's God making the covenant with Abram. He's not saying that this is dependent on something you're doing. He's saying, no, this is going to happen because I, the Lord, say it is going to happen. And maybe because you don't, we don't have a close enough relationship yet, I'm going to do this ceremony to, to patronize, but not in a negative way, to, to condescend a bit, to show you that I mean business. He's making a promise to ensure that humanity is going to be in his community forever. And up until this point, have we, humanity, given God a lot to be excited about? Well, not really, right? Like, Abram's story is only, it's just on the heels of the Tower of Babel. So, we have Melchizedek, we have Abram, but we don't have any other biblical indication that anybody is doing anything that God likes right now. But nevertheless, he's saying, I want to be here for you guys, and this is what's going to happen. But it's going to happen under my terms. And so that's commitment, He's doubling down on the covenant he made with Noah and all of creation after the flood. Now, not only is that someone that we can trust, friends, that, that's someone I know that I personally speak for myself that I want to follow because God's going somewhere where I want to go. And he, he may not be taking a path that I understand or, or sometimes even like, see descendants 400 years in in Egyptian slavery, but nevertheless, we can trust that the end is going to make everything worth it. So this is a great reminder for us at this point, I think, to reflect on our lives and ask ourselves, what what do we want to be remembered for? Because we can see what Abram is remembered for in a lot of ways. And we need to understand that, that ups and downs are a part of life, right? Like a lot of times we say, oh, we, we don't want to live like this, all oh, the drama and, and whatever. But the, the thing is, is if you're living like this, like what does that mean? Either you're really boring or you're dead. It, it, seriously though, right? Like if you're truly following God with all you got, it's going to be like this, friends, and there's going to be blood. There's going to be things that we don't like. If we're truly putting God... Uh, truly living and putting ourselves out there, following God is going to be messy business for imperfect people. I think that just stands to reason. So he's the hero, the one minute, the goat, the next. But if you ask the NT writers, what is he more of? He's more hero, isn't he? They talk about him as, as a hero because I think we read God or Abram questioning him. We think it's a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I can't remember when I was here before. Did I ever tell you guys the story about when I met Sarah in Poland in the Speedo? Did I tell you about? Okay, so, so we're 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 in Poland. We're sorry, we weren't in Poland yet. We get an email from the missionary, and he says, "Hey guys, he's given us a list of things to bring." And, and guys, at the end, it was almost he's like, "Don't forget your speedo," and but if you don't have one, you can borrow one. And so I, like, first of all, who owns a speedo? And second of all, one does not simply borrow a speedo. <laughs> So I write back, are you kidding me? And we're in a group thing, t- uh, email right now. Sarah's on it. We've never met in person. And she's thinking, who does this guy think he is? He is questioning the authority of the missionary. Him and I are not going to get along at all. Oh, really? Aren't we? We get along okay. 
But seriously, though, like, sometimes we need to ask questions. Asking questions is a good thing. I wasn't questioning his authority. I just wanted to make sure I had this covered. Because we do this all the time. It's especially okay when you're faced with something that seems impossible. Abram should be asking how in the world he's going to have kids at 80. He should be wondering how in the world he's going to possess land that's possessed by many, 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 many bad people. These questions should be asked. When we look at, here at Central, when we look at what we think God is calling us to do, reach the entire eastern Fraser Valley with the gospel, seriously, that's like parachute pants in the 90s. Not any of us is figuring that out anytime soon. We need to be depending on God and asking him, how in the world are we going to figure this out? Because without him, it is not happening. Amen? Like, doesn't that, doesn't that sound about right? Oh, man, I'm getting fired up. Right, right at the very end. So, ask yourself. This is my question. Ask yourself, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered for being fearful or fearless? Faithful or faithless? How you answer that question is going to impact whether you follow Jesus with all you have or not. But it helps us take stock once in a while. There's a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, and he wrote that life must be lived looking forward, but can only be understood looking backwards. So where has God taken you from? What can you draw strength in your experience from that can help overcome any fears you have right now that might be hindering you from living for his glory? for living out his mission. Sarah and I often, we reminisce about this. And we've come to, like, we laugh thinking about all the cool things that we've done either together or apart. You know, we've, we've done ministry in lots of different countries. We have cultural background uh, differences that we've had to work through. Um, we, all kinds of things. Uh, different leadership experiences. And all of these have led us to be able to, we feel, fit perfectly with the current situation that we find ourselves in. So what have you done that God has prepared you for where you are right now? God's been in that. What have you done that he's doing to prepare you for his glory? We need to believe that because things may not happen in the order that we want or in the the pace or anything like that, but we need to best believe that God is doing things in his timing for his glory. And if we're obedient, he's doing it through us. So in closing, there I was in the middle of nowhere, remember, with my new friend Luis pointing at the jungle and saying Calderas. And so I had a choice at that point. Was I going to follow him in or, or what? And being a little more devil may care at that point, I decided to, to go in with him. Actually, I keep saying follow, but I didn't actually follow him. He made me go first. So I, I actually remember wondering if he was going to plant a machete in my back. But at any rate, I also remember thinking, God, I sure hope you got this. And, and he did. I, I made it. He led me up through. I made it to Calderas. The, the skies parted. The ah happened. And I made it up there. And I came back down unscathed. And it was all because I, I managed to scrape together a little bit of faith. That little bit of faith went a long way. See, because in, in, in a way, it was God that was beckoning me to follow because I was on a mission. I thought that I was on a mission and God was calling me to that. Because it's always about the mission. God started this mission with, with some guy in the middle of nowhere from Ur. 
And now he's, however imperfectly, because I'm an imperfect person, he's working through a guy named Chris and, and far more perfectly through a woman named Sarah or through Jimmy or Jenny or, or whatever your name is. God is wanting to make his glory big through you. And it's Jesus who made this possible. We know that, right? Jesus has given us the grace we need to reveal God's glory through word and deed. I'd like to invite the band and the ushers up, please, as we transition into our time of communion. Friends, uh, this time that we take every month to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, it isn't just about taking some bread and, and some juice in a ritual or out of just mere obedience. It's about participating in, in a pretty sacred ceremony. It's been happening for thousands of years. It connects us with our Lord who makes all things possible through his strength in us. It's about remembering the sacrifice that made this possible. And on his last night with his friends, he asked them to begin this awesome tradition by taking bread and, and wine as his body and blood. I'm going to pray for us, and the band is going to play a couple of songs. And if you're new here, we, we, we take communion by coming to the front, so just join in, and we'll serve you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for uh, this community that we belong to, and we're most grateful that you are the one empowering us, that you are the one connecting us, that you are the one using us and growing in us a sense of your glory for your glory. And now, Father, as we participate in this really awesome ceremony that you've asked us to do, help us be able to look past any sort of rote obedience and instead look at it as a deep connecting point in our life with your life. And to use that as a means to not only know you better, but to follow you, to understand you, to be able to see clearly in our lives where you're working, where we need to ask for forgiveness and to be able to move forward for your glory. Father, as we take this bread and this juice, we, we do it in remembrance of you, of your sacrifice. Help us never to forget that. Help us to keep that at the forefront of our minds and use that as the motivation for everything that we do, knowing that you sacrificed all for us so that we may live. We're grateful and we lift this up in the name of your powerful name. Amen.